The reading is taken from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, and can be found on page 946 of the Pew Bibles. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people, will bring me offerings. On that day you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove you from your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honour in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honour and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Ah, I want to give you a talk yeah. this morning. Well, all right. From this subject. Well, all right. Talk. Getting ready. Get ready. For Christmas, Christmas. Yes, sir. day, yes, sir. the 25th well, day well, of December. December. Right. You getting ready? Get yes. ready. Now, now. Yes. some well, have had the garment that's yes. laid away. That's oh, right. yes. Paint some. Well. This is the Reverend James M. Gates, an American preacher and gospel music writer who from, I guess, 1914 till 1945 was the pastor of a Baptist church in a poor suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. He was a very prolific recorder, re maker of records, a prolific record recording career. He made over 200 records, mostly of gospel music. His first bestseller in 1926 was a song you probably all recognize, Death's Black Train is Coming, which was not by any accounts a barrel of laughs, but it did sell 35,000 copies in its first year. And the Reverend Gates also recorded sermons, many of which were also bestsellers. Now, there's an idea to raise money for the hub, isn't it? His first bestseller in his in 1920, sorry, in, in October, his last bestseller in October 1941 was this one entitled "Getting Ready for Christmas Day." Now, I'm showing you this because I haven't 
run it past Tom yet, but I think it would be a great idea if we used that kind of a mode of sermon here at St. Luke's. A bit of audience participation. What do you think? Shall we give it a go? Okay, when I say a few words, you interject with, yeah, or hallelujah, all right, or amen. Okay? So, I want to give you a talk. This morning, on this subject, yeah, get ready for Christmas Day. The 25th day, yeah, it's good, isn't it? I think it would work. The trouble is, if we tried to carry on now, we wouldn't be ready for Christmas Day. It would take too long. So, uh, we'll, we'll give it a go in the new year, okay? Right. So, back to our reading today from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Zephaniah prophesied during the reign of relatively good King Josiah of Judah. And it was in the years just before the Babylonian invasion and the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple in the early 6th century. Now, I guess that the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem would have hoped that what Zephaniah calls the great day of the Lord would come soon so that they would be delivered from disaster. But no. What God's prophet says is that the coming day of the Lord would bring judgment not only, or not even first, on their enemies, but on Judah itself. And the gist of Zephaniah's dark little prophecy is that if the city of God, the house of God, and the people of God aren't safe from the judgment of God, then nothing is safe. One day, the whole world will be judged. Zephaniah warns us, well, God warns us through Zephaniah, that this localized national crisis in the Middle East two and a half millennia ago is a foreshadowing of the global crisis we will all face when the Lord comes to judge the whole world. Which sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? But actually, this is what makes Zephaniah, and particularly this passage we heard read this morning, so appropriate for the Advent season, when we're all busy getting ready for Christmas Day. Because these verses contain what I think are some of the most extraordinarily wonderful descriptions of our future hope anywhere in Scripture. From the darkest depths to the heights of glory, from pedantic superficial religion to the gospel of grace, Zephaniah first shows us the utter hopelessness of the human condition and then proclaims our glorious future hope in Christ. I want to make three points. This is a three-point sermon. They all begin with the same letter. Have we got it? Yep, there they are. Okay. Right, so repentance, rejoicing, and restoration. So repentance. Let's start, shall we, in the state of crisis. The verse immediately before our reading, verse 8, God says, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. The whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. The proud and arrogant, those who have no fear or respect for the Lord, will be destroyed. But, 
And thank God there is a but. There will be some for whom the fire of God's jealous anger will purify their lips. That all of them will call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. Not even socially distanced, shoulder to shoulder, with one accord, in unity. That's the kind of church that pleases God. Purified people who are meek and humble and who trust in the name of the Lord. Now I think that one of the most difficult things about being a Christian is to trust, really trust, the Lord's love. To admit that we are sinners who, in the words of a worship song that we're going to sing next, sinners who need forgiveness, the kindness of a saviour. Zephaniah urges us to renounce ourselves and just trust in the name of the Lord. Because those who do, look at verse 13, those who do will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down and no one will make them afraid. Don't you hear echoes here of John's words, Apostle John 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, if we claim we are to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, but if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's repentance. The slide again. Once we have faced up to the harsh reality of our own helplessness, God purifies us, forgives us, comforts us, and protects us with his overwhelming love. Which brings us seamlessly to point number two, rejoicing. There is undoubtedly a whole lot of joy in our passage today. Daughter Zion, Israel, is called to sing, to shout aloud, to be glad and rejoice. And what's more, verse 17, even God will join in. He will rejoice over you with singing. After two and a half chapters of seemingly unrelenting misery, Zephaniah ends with a call to overflowing joy. It's such a, a jarring contrast that some, some scholars apparently propose that these verses might have been added later, perhaps even by a different author. Well, I don't know about that sort of thing, but whatever the case, the darkness that precedes this morning's text is precisely what makes this morning's text so joyous. Because the God who threatened in the, in the earlier part of Zephaniah's prophecy to come upon the world and its people with wrath now promises all kinds of wonderful things. Verse 15, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Which sounds great. But not long after Zephaniah uttered these words, the Babylonians carried the people off into exile. And Jerusalem was sacked. It certainly didn't look as if the Lord had turned back their enemy. It certainly didn't seem possible that they would ever again not need to fear any harm. But of course, that's not the end of the story. God did, eventually, after 70 years of exile, bring them back to their homeland. And Jerusalem was rebuilt, and so was the temple 
the place where God dwelt with his people, which was great. Praise the Lord. But that wasn't the end of the story either because the people didn't seem to have learned from their experience of exile. They were still spiritually ignorant and arrogant. Life was still dark and difficult. Malachi, who was a prophet after the return, post-exilic, after the return from exile, he says this, that the people wearied the Lord with their words by saying, oh, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he's pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? So still, no happy ending. Nothing really for daughter Jerusalem to sing about and shout about and to be glad and rejoice about. Did Zephaniah get it wrong? When is the great day of the Lord going to be? When is God going to come and put things right? Where is the happy ending? And this is exactly what the season of Advent is all about. It's all about waiting in eager expectation for that happy ending. But, and here's another twist, as we celebrate the coming of the Messiah as a baby 2,000 years ago, we are celebrating what is in a sense, just the happy beginning. We're still waiting in eager expectation for the second coming of the Messiah, the mighty warrior who saves, the one who is, in the older translations, mighty to save. That's the real happy ending. And our passage in Zephaniah helps us to sing for joy precisely because it promises us the coming of the Messiah even as we still live in darkness, as we wait for the complete fulfillment of the messianic promises of God. The Messiah isn't specifically named in our passage, but his profile is clearly here in three roles, which with, with New Testament hindsight, we know that the Messiah fulfills. In verse 15, he's the judge who pardons us. The Lord has taken away your punishment. The very punishment he had threatened in previous verses, these are echoes, aren't there, of John the Baptist's bold declaration on seeing Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has taken away the punishment we deserve by bearing, our, bearing it in our place so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Surely a good enough reason to sing and shout and be glad and rejoice with all our heart. And there's another reason to rejoice in verse 15. The Lord has turned back your enemy. As Christians, we see the crucifixion of Jesus as victory over sin, death and the devil. When Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, it was a cry not of resignation, but of victory. John writes in Revelation, this is, Now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser, the devil, has been hurled down so that we as Christians can triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, says John, rejoice. 
There are some I know who find it hard to rejoice in Christ's victory over Satan at Calvary while evil and suffering seem so rampant and unchecked in today's world. It is truly difficult to comprehend. But I wonder if this analogy helps. It was in a book, one of the commentators I read on this thing, and he, he suggested this particular analogy, and it certainly helped me. Second World War, the Normandy landings, 1944, June 1944. Historians now claim that once that victory in the battle for Normandy had been achieved, the final victory in the war was certain, even though there would be another year's worth at least of fighting and suffering and death to come. And in the same sort of way, I think, Christ's victory at Calvary, his, his death, resurrection, and exaltation guarantees our final victory, even though the devil is still active for a time. But, thanks to God, we are on the winning side. So we're right to rejoice that God has turned back our enemies. And here's a third reason for rejoicing. The God who seemed absent or distant in Israel's dark days before the exile, is back. Look at verse 15. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Verse 17. The Lord your God is with you. God with us. Emmanuel. Matthew, quoting Isaiah, says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Which means? God with us. How can we not rejoice that God actually wants to be with us? He will take great delight in us. In his love, he will rejoice over us with singing. So that's repentance and rejoicing. Now, restoration. Verses 19 and 20. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they've suffered shame. I will gather you. I will bring you home. I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is the message we should carry with us through the Advent season even as the world seems so dark and uncertain. Zephaniah helps us to see the coming of the Messiah in brighter tones, with greater certainty. He's the one who satisfied God's wrath so that we could be pardoned. He's the one who's defeated the principalities and powers of evil that ruin human life. He is Emmanuel, who fills the emptiness in people's lives. He's the creator God, who will one day restore his whole creation so that we can glorify God and be glorified by him. Many of you here this morning already know the joy of trusting in Jesus in, in a deeply personal way. And my prayer is that you will know that joy afresh this Advent, that it won't just wash over you in all the busyness of getting ready for Christmas Day, but that you will remember again the glorious promise of the one who is mighty to save. 
At that time, I will bring you home. And if you're here this morning or, or watching online, but you've been keeping Jesus at arm's length, so to speak, if, if for whatever reason you've been hesitant to commit your life to Jesus, then my prayer for you is this, that you won't simply get caught up in the commercialism of the season, that you won't be influenced just by the traditions and sentimentality of Christmas, but that you'll come to recognize that, like all of us, you need a Savior, and that you'll open your heart to him. Because if you do, you'll give yourself the best Christmas present ever. And if you want a New Year's resolution, well, maybe join Hope Explored. Sign up to join Hope Explored in the new year to get to know more about what a great thing it is to be a follower of Jesus. Which is, when all said and done, precisely the Reverend Gates' message. The first part of his sermon that you heard a bit about is all about materialism, the materialism of Christmas. But towards the end, he says this. I won't play the video clip. I'm sure you'll be pleased about that. I'll just read it. And you can interject with amen and hallelujah as you see fit. Getting ready for Christmas Day, I want to say to you, not only get ready, but be ready. Get your hearts ready. Go down to the Holy Ghost station. I love that. Go down to the Holy Ghost station. Stay there till you get your hearts ready. Getting ready for Christmas Day. Because remember, Jesus is for life, not just for Christmas. Jesus is for eternal life. Honor him. Love him. Rejoice him. This Christmas and forever. Amen.